Mike Seibert Radio is an independent podcast. The views and opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests only and do not necessarily reflect those of any broadcasters that any of us either have been, am now, or will be affiliated with. Enjoy the show! Hey, welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio. I am your host. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I am at Mike Seibert Radio. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and write into the mailbag, MikeSybertRadio at gmail.com. This is the podcast radio show where I talk about stuff and things that are on my mind every week. And on this week's show, we're talking Deadpool 2, and later we'll be joined by Big E from KGRG, Airhorn Elijah. (laughs) He's going to call in to talk about a very specific scene from that movie, one that I'm not going to spoil here, uh, but let's just say he's got some uh, special insight I'd like to hear about. Plus, we'll talk about what's new with his show, The Monday Project. All of that and more on this all-new episode of Mike Seibert Radio. But first, let's kick things off with some shout-outs. Well, first, I want to thank Mike Martin, our guest from last week's podcast. He was on to talk about his work as a concept designer for Funko, as well as his cosplay and charity work with costume characters for causes. The new documentary, Making Fun, the Story of Funko, is now streaming on Netflix. It's a lot of fun. Go check it out. Um, Mike is not in the movie, uh, but they did film a bunch of stuff with him that got trimmed for time, and he talks about that and shares some stories from the beginning of Funko that also didn't quite make it into the final cut either uh, during our interview, uh, so you won't want to miss that. There's a, there's a lot of cool uh, uh, insider stuff there. Um, I'd also like to give a shout-out to local homies Waking Things. Uh, Sam and Chris played a great acoustic set last week at Green River College during Spring Fest. Uh, the weather was perfect, and it was a great day to check out some live music out in the sun. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Lucky and I actually kind of made a whole day of it. Like We started off and had, a, had breakfast and a, a black diamond that we went to a, a, a nursery in Covington and spent way too much money on a, on a, a, a decorations and whatnot. Um, but then, yeah, just uh, ended up on the campus. It was a perfect day for it. Uh, there, there was a there was a decent stage area uh, set up uh, for them, kind of like in the courtyard uh, center court area of uh, Green River College. Uh, they uh, they played a lot of different covers. It was a it, it was a cover heavy set uh more so than i was thinking uh but but it also included a hilarious version of four non-blondes what's up uh which uh which was really cool and a few of their originals as well um got to see cool guy luke too which uh which was great uh we're uh we're in the works of doing a star wars podcast that uh, i i keep telling him that i owe him a star wars podcast because he uh he hasn't we haven't been on a star wars podcast together since 
uh, Force Awakens, I think, and that goes all the way back to 2015. So we're we're looking to remedy that in uh, in the near future. Uh, but that that was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, speaking of waking things, I've also got some news about Hang In There, uh, the long-awaited new EP from them. Uh, they've released the cover art and the track list. Uh, no release date yet, but I did talk to Chris a little bit after their set, and he's uh, he's looking to get me a review copy ahead of time uh, so I can talk about it with you and get you hyped for that that new record because uh, I I am my body is ready my mind is ready I need some new waking things music in my life uh, in the meantime go check out the music video for their new song alive uh, I played it a couple podcasts ago and it's a whole lot of fun it's all about empowerment there's training montages and soapbox derby racing it's uh it's pretty great Here are some exciting coming attractions. Uh, first, I want to let you know that Lucia Fasano won't be able to join us this week. Uh, she wrote a story for the graphic novel anthology Where We Live, a benefit for the survivors in Las Vegas. Uh, she's jammed and all booked up solid uh, leading up to the release of that book, including a huge signing event that's going to be happening on Wednesday, May 30th at Golden Apple Comics in Los Angeles. Uh, more info about that in the event section of Mike Seibert Radio Facebook um, if you happen to live in the LA area and want to go check that out. Uh, Lucia will be there uh, along with Tess Fowler, the artist who illustrated her story, as well as several other creators who contributed to the book. Uh, They're going to be signing autographs, doing sketches, raising money, um, all to support the victims and survivors of the Las Vegas shooting on October 1st of 2017. Uh, Where We Live is a riveting collection of both fictional stories and actual eyewitness accounts told by an all star lineup of the top talent working in comics today. All of the creators have graciously volunteered their time and talent to help bring sense to the senseless act and, in the process, raise money for the survivors and their families. Uh, The book will include a variety of perspectives with key themes exploring gun violence, common sense gun control, value of a compassionate society, mental health stigmatization, aftermath of tragedy, and how individuals and communities preserve and an appreciation of Las Vegas as a vibrant community. 73 stories, over 300 pages, and 165 contributors curated by J.H. Williams III and Image Comics. 100% of the proceeds for the Where We Live anthology will be donated to the Route 91 Strong, a nonprofit organization. I'll have links available in the show notes, but you can get Where We Live pretty much everywhere books are sold uh, on Wednesday, May 30th, uh, as well as online or at your local comic shop. That's uh, that's where my copy is going to be waiting for me to get uh, over at Fantasium Comics in Federal Way. Um, and I'm pleased to announce that Lucia Fasano will be my guest on the podcast dropping on June 12th, a few weeks from now. Uh, that will give us all the opportunity to check out her story in the book. Uh, plus, she'll be able to talk about what she's been up to since her big move back to L.A., uh, the return of Caddy Bees, and another exciting project she's working on with artist Tess Fowler. Um, who might also be joining us during that interview as well. How about that? Um, So since that's a few weeks from now, here's the deal. Here's what I'd like you to do. Go out and go grab a copy of Where We Live, 
check it out. And if you have any questions for artist Tess Fowler or writer Lucia Fasano or uh, any of her other work, like uh, her music or comedy, uh, which we've talked about on the show before, uh, send your questions to MikeSybertRadio at gmail.com or you can message me at MikeSybertRadio on Twitter and Instagram or MikeSybertRadio Facebook. Uh, get your questions in before June 10th and I'll read them on the air and give you a shout out during the interview. Uh, coming up next on Mike Cybert Radio, Deadpool 2, full spoiler discussion. Fucking spoilers! <laughs> Do that one more time, that was awesome. Fucking spoilers! We getting close. You all know the drill. Intercept the convoy. Watch out for cable. Hit it! Where's this kid? He's in trouble. Move or die. Pump the hate breaks, Thanos. I ain't letting Cable get to him. But I can't do this alone. We need backup. We're gonna form a super duper fucking group. It's time to get back on LinkedIn. Meet Bedlam. My name's Shatterstar. Domino, I'm lucky. Luck isn't a superpower. It's certainly not very cinematic. Yes, it is. Let's meet in the middle and say no, it isn't. Fuck it. It's showtime. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. I'm rocking my pants. What the fuck does it feel? Making the tears rain down like a monsoon. Listen to my face go boom. Fucking hero. You're just a clown. Dressed up as a sex toy. So dark. You sure you're not from the DC universe? Bring it on one night, Willie. <laughs> oh, yeah, your bullets, they're really fast. <laughs> and last but not least, Peter. Any power you want to tell us about? I don't, I don't have one. Um, I, I just saw the ad. You're in. <laughs> <laughs> it is the second coming. Deadpool 2, the sequel to the 2016 surprise smash hit starring Ryan Reynolds, Josh Brolin, Marina Baccarin, Julian Dennison, and Zazie Beetz. Directed by David Leach, and as of this recording, has brought in $487 million worldwide on a $110 million production budget. Uh, here is the official plot summary from 20th Century Fox. Fox, the studio that killed Wolverine. Uh, after surviving a near-fatal bovine attack, a disfigured cafeteria chef, Wade Wilson, uh, struggles to fulfill his dream of becoming Mayberry's hottest bartender while also learning to cope with his lost sense of taste. Searching to regain his spice for life, as well as a flux capacitor, Wade must battle ninjas, the Yakuza, and a pack of sexually aggressive canines as he journeys 
cities around the world to discover the importance of family, friendship, and flavor, finding a new taste for adventure, and earning the coveted coffee mug title of World's Best Lover. None of that happens in the movie. Um, in uh, Instead, wisecracking mercenary Deadpool meets Russell, an angry teenage mutant who lives at a corrupt orphanage. When Russell becomes the target of Cable, a cybernetically enhanced soldier from the future, Deadpool realizes that he'll need some help saving the boy from such a superior enemy. He forms X-Force with other powerful mutants to protect young Russell from Cable and his advanced weaponry. Violence and hilarity ensue. <laughs> And that is exactly what you want from a sequel, right? It uh, it takes everything you loved about the original and cranks everything up, uh, for better or worse. Now, does that make this a better movie? Tough to say, but I liked it, and I think just about every aspect of this movie, from the special effects to the performances to the writing, um, have all been improved on. Um, I, I think this is a more fully realized version of that first movie. Now, keep in mind that that third act in Deadpool 1 is uh, is actually pretty weak, uh, but it was easier to overlook uh, given how strong the opening sequence was uh, in that first movie, and that momentum carried the entire first half, I'd say uh, two-thirds of the movie. Uh, but what made it all work, though, is that we hadn't seen anything like Deadpool before, uh, between like the fourth wall breaking and the violence and the jokes and the jokes and the violence. Um, and, and it was just so, you know, deliciously R rated. Um, and, and I think that was one of the challenges going into Deadpool two uh, the surprise factor is gone. And, uh, and worse than that, now we, as the audience, we have new expectations. I mean, I, I know we, uh, uh, we all thought that, uh, with the success of Deadpool and then later the success of Logan, that we were going to see a rash of R-rated superhero movies. And thankfully, aside from that uh, uh, god-awful uh, Batman v Superman colon uh, Dawn of the Rise of the R-rated Justice Carnival dash Ultimate Edition, we really haven't seen that R-rated superhero boom yet, and I hope we don't. I, uh, I, I loves me some Batman man but i i don't need r-rated batman in my life but but um you know it's only taken me a couple minutes and i'm already getting off track so uh but i i i don't know about you uh, getting back to deadpool 2 uh but going through that whole opening sequence i i just um i kept waiting and wondering when and if it was going to try to match or even top uh, the opening titles from the first movie because that that was um, uh, so iconic. Um, instead, though, they did something kind of kind of different, which uh, which was okay. Um, so let's run through the plot uh, from uh, the Wikipedia article. Um, after successfully working as a mercenary for two years, Wade Wilson fails to kill one of his targets on his anniversary with his girlfriend Vanessa. That night, after the pair decides to start a family together, the target tracks them down and kills Vanessa. 
Wilson kills the man in revenge. He blames himself for her death and attempts to commit suicide six weeks later by blowing himself up. Uh, Wilson has a vision of Vanessa in the afterlife, but the pieces of his body remain alive and are put back together by Colossus. Wilson is left with only a skee-ball token, uh, pure lead, <laughs> um, as an anniversary gift and as a final memento of Vanessa. And that's where the problems kind of start for me. Uh, first of all, uh, this uh, this twist was spoiled for me ahead of time in a review, uh, which which was pretty obnoxious. Uh, but it's odd that that a movie that is pretty clever at times and makes it a point to be super meta about lazy writing like that that comes up like two or three times throughout the movie um that this movie kicks off with one of the most tired movie cliches in history you know using uh, the girlfriend's death to propel the characters forward now I'm not going to unpack the whole women in refrigerators uh, storytelling trope here. Um, you can look into that on your own. And I'm not being a flag waving liberal feminist here uh, for pointing it out. Um, it's totally a thing. Go look it up. Just just go to Google and uh, put in women in refrigerators and and you'll get the idea. It's uh, it's totally a thing. Um but I I just think it's really lazy and uh, and it put the movie on weird footing uh, to start for me. And and then to go into that James Bond style uh, title sequence uh, really didn't do it for me. Uh, but I did really like uh, the Logan music box at the beginning. That was <laughs> that was pretty funny. Um, uh, we're we're doing uh, Logan jokes all over the place because I think that was even on one of the posters uh, from the studio that killed Wolverine. Um, anyway, after uh, after recovering at the X Mansion, Deadpool, Colossus, and Negasonic Teenage Warhead, who's uh, uh, largely wasted as a character in this movie, uh, they uh, they respond to a standoff between authorities and the unstable young man Russell Collins, aka Firefist, at an orphanage labeled as the Essex House Mutant Reeducation Center. Um, obviously, a nod to Mister Sinister from the comics and that post credit sequence. From from uh, X Men Apocalypse, um, and uh, and I I did really like uh, Deadpool's yellow trainee jersey. Um, you know they get a lot of mileage out of that joke uh, throughout the movie, um, but that um, you know there there's a lot of Easter eggs from the comics that popped up in in this movie, and I'll I'll talk about those uh, later on. But that look, that yellow jersey, that's popped up a few times in the comics too, and I I, I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, Wade realizes that Collins has been abused by the orphanage staff and kills one of the staff members that looks a whole lot like Jared Kushner. Uh, Colossus stops Wade from killing. Killing anyone else, and both Wade and Collins are arrested, uh, restrained with collars that suppress their powers. Uh, they are taken to the Icebox, an isolated prison for mutant criminals. Uh, meanwhile, a cybernetic soldier from the future named Cable, whose family is murdered by a older future version of Collins, uh, travels back in time to kill the boy before Collins ever becomes a killer. Um, so obviously, this is Josh Brolin's year. You know, what with that Infinity War and the amazing work he did there bringing Thanos to life. Um, 
But I I thought Cable was a little undercooked for my liking as, uh, you know, as a character and as an antagonist. Um, to be fair, though, I think it's a better move uh, making Cable kind of like a generic bad guy rather than trying to unravel what is really uh, one of the most complicated and convoluted uh, characters in all of comic books. And that's saying something. Um, in the comics, uh, Cable is the son of Cyclops and a clone of Jean Grey that is sent into the future 